When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. And welcome to the Bleacher Connection with your host, Ken and Trevor, a part of Unhinged Radio, powered by Belly Up Sports. As always, you can find us on social media. Trevor is at the BleacherCon1. I am at the BleacherCon2. And our Facebook page, the Bleacher Connection Podcast. Also, don't forget to head over to either our, either one of our Twitter bios or our Facebook page. Check out our link trees where you can find all the links to our partners at Dr. Squatch, All Natural Soap for Men. They got some great products there. As well, you can find the Bleacher Connection merch page. Check it out. Got a lot of good stuff on there for all you guys who love the show. Thanks, Ken. Well, on this week's episode, we're going to unfortunately have a little bit of a recap of last weekend's BC Lions versus Calgary Stampeders. Uh, I guess it was our rivalry game uh, in the CFL. Uh, Ken and I are also going to talk a little bit of Toronto Blue Jays. There was a lot of optimism around the team about a week ago. How are we feeling since in this past week? And uh, before we get going here, Ken, what's new and exciting in the last week? Uh, It's been a bit of a uh, a big week for the Bleacher Connection. It has been a it has been a very big week and uh, very exciting week. I think when uh, obviously our intro is a little different, but also familiar. We are we are back with the Unhinged Sports Network. Uh, we got asked if we wanted to to come back in a little not too long ago, and uh, we were very excited for the opportunity. And we are back. So yeah, we are back on Unhinged which is now also a part of Belly Up Sports, which is uh, is big for everyone involved. Yeah, for those that don't know, uh, Unhinged Radio now, as it is branded, is powered by Belly Up Sports, and it's essentially a 24-7 radio network featuring some of the best podcasts from both the old Unhinged Sports Network and Belly Up Sports, so very exciting times, and it very excited to see where this goes to. We were very honored to be asked to come back and become part of this. And it's very exciting for both of us. So a big thank you to our friends at the Unhinged Sports Network and our new friends at Belly Up Sports. Thank you. Yeah, for those who have listened to the Unhinged Network before, there's going to be a lot of new content on there from uh, the Belly Up podcasts that are coming over to join the radio side. They're not all of the Belly Up ones are, but if you go to bellyupsports.com, I believe that they have all their podcasts there. They got some great YouTube ones, another just pure podcast. 
check it all out. We are very excited to get a chance to work with everyone here. You betcha. Well, Ken, before we get going on our main topics today, you really wanted to touch on the, the Field of Dreams game uh, between the New York Yankees and Chicago White Sox earlier in the week. Why don't you, uh, why don't you take off on that with our listeners? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to preface it right off the start. Did not watch the game because I was, I mean, you were at McMahon and I was uh, glued to my couch watching the, the Lions-Stamps game, uh, which we'll get into much, much more glorious details for me later on. Um, but I was keeping an eye on it because I thought this was really cool. Like during, before the game started, uh, I saw a lot of stuff on Twitter about how the field was set up. The, the uniforms, the throwback uniforms that the teams are going to be wearing. And it just looked really, really cool. And then uh, after the game got going, uh, I saw the intro video that they did on Twitter. And it was just absolutely amazing. Uh, Kevin Costner, obviously, he was in Field of Dreams, comes walking through the corn cornfield through an opening in the fence in uh, right center and comes out, comes out to the top of the cutout of the infield and just kind of stands, looks around as then the Yankees and white Sox in their retro uniforms come through the cornfield. Like they do in the movie. I just thought it was absolutely amazing. It was very, very cool to see this happening. And I don't, it was just really cool. And the game seeing highlights throughout uh, the see like the Lion Stamps game, it was a home run fest, and just it was really cool to watch. What I uh, really got excited about is earlier this season in the NHL, we got to see the Lake Tahoe, where it was all about the spectacle. When it was, you had the Colorado Avalanche taking on the Vegas Golden Knights. It was all about the spectacle, and it was an amazing event. The background, the uh, sorry, I guess Boston. There was the Boston Philly game there as well. I forgot about that. It was all about the. Uh, the spectacle of where they were. And from what I got to see of this game and from the highlights, they, I don't want to use the pun, hit a home run, but is there hit a grand slam? Is there any other pun you could use here? Like it was amazing. And what made it even more special was they did get to have some fans there. I think there was what roughly seven, 8,000 fans at the game. And that was, yeah, it was built for 8,000. That was it. So it wasn't an over the top, you know, money raker by bringing in all these people, they kept it pure to the size of the, the field. It, it very much had that almost triple A, double A type feel to it, where it's like kind of this small stadium set in the middle of nowhere. It just really, really took the game back to the roots to me. And I'm very excited, very excited that they announced they're going to do this again and again and again. It's exciting because it's a different event. It, it potentially draws in a different crowd. And I look at the NHL does the outdoor games and I know they may have overkilled it, but it's still a very special, very special event for the teams that are involved in those games. I personally got to go to one in 2019 with the Calgary Flames and the Winnipeg Jets in Regina Sure, the, the NHL may have overdone those, but when it's your team involved, it's still an absolute amazing experience and spectacle. And even if the MLB does overdo it, it's always going to be special to the fans of the teams watching. 
I hope one day we get to see our Toronto Blue Jays in one of these games. I'm not overly optimistic that that would be a huge draw for the TV ratings, but I would love to see the Blue Jays play in a Field of Dreams game. And and I can't, I, I hope I get to see more of next year's just to really take in the spectacle, but to, to Major League Baseball, well done. Yeah, it, it was great. And I think the fact that it's a one-game, one-off event during the season, I, I don't know that you'd get that overkill with having, you know, six, seven of them in a season. Like it feels like there is in the NHL at times. But actually, that the 8,000 fans that were at the game is bigger than the population of the town that it was held in. So... It, it, it had, like you say, it had that really small, you know, lower level ball feel to it. Like, it was just great. And you could see that the, I think the players really enjoyed it and had a lot of fun participating in this game. I, I, I can't wait to, like I say, yeah, see it again next year. And uh, yeah, I'm absolutely 100% fine if this is a yearly thing for Major League Baseball. And we're missing the entire best part of the game. And that was the walk-off home run for the Yankees to lose. That was absolutely that just was the icing on the cake as a Toronto Blue Jays fan, you know, watching the Yankees get their, their heart ripped out in such a big game after taking the lead in the top of the ninth to see them blow it in the bottom. It was beautiful. Yeah. Well, you were using the pun, you know, the major league baseball hit a home run. Well, both teams were hitting home runs all game long and, just to see the highlights of, you know, I think Stanton hit one, Judge hit one, uh, obviously Tim Anderson at the end of the game. There's a few guys that hit home runs. Just to see them land in the cornfield, like, that's pretty cool. Like it, The whole thing just over-the-top perfection, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I didn't find a negative with it. And I'm wondering if down the road they might go to a two- or three-game set instead of just playing one game, but – Tough to say, tough to argue however they do it. You can't tell me the players didn't love it and they wouldn't love doing a couple games in a series in that type of situation. So I'm interested to see if this evolves into anything bigger. I, I really hope Major League Baseball keeps it to the grassroots of it and only has, you know, the seven, 8,000 fans there and doesn't make it too much of a spectacle. But it as, as it was, absolutely amazing and can't wait for next year's. Yeah, absolutely. So, Ken, let's get into our first topic of the day, and I don't really want to get into this topic after the uh, the, the game on the weekend played in Calgary at McMahon Stadium on, uh, on Thursday night. Sorry, it wasn't even the weekend, where my Calgary Stampeders took on your British Columbia Lions in one of the, I considered it a marquee matchup in the CFL in week two. I don't know that a lot of pundits would agree with that now that we're kind of seeing how the standings are playing out, but Ken, what was your initial thoughts on the game? And then I'll give mine after. We both kind of want to talk about the early CFL season and, and where we think our teams are and where they're going. And Ken, so tell me why the BC Lions won. Well, I mean, first of all, I think they, despite how some people feel about it, Mike Riley started the game. And Michael Riley. Michael, yes, yeah, sorry. That's my first time. Michael Riley. Uh, he came out looking like, Michael Riley, and he was able to throw the ball deep. He was able to honestly stay clean. The offensive line has done a lot better job the last two games. They haven't, he and Rourke have not gone untouched, but they're able to 
make throws, make runs if they have to get out of the way, out of the pocket. But they've been able to do their job, which is great because going back to last season, which was 2019, Michael Riley was getting up off the turf a lot, getting sacked constantly. And I think, you know, our very first guest on the show, Kelly Bates, back at uh, when he came in 2019 as the offensive line coach, a lot changed. They got slightly better that season, and this season they're a lot better. They've done a good job at bolstering that. Michael Riley, Riley's got some some great targets at receiver. I think they've got a great one-two punch that is going to be hard to stop because you've got Brian Burnham who throw the ball within 10 yards of him, he's going to make that catch. Except and he does that in the end zone. Well, for the most part, 99% of the time, he's going to make that catch. Uh, he had seven targets in the game and had six catches. And the only one that he missed was the one in the end zone, which was overthrown. But yeah, I got to agree with you on this one. Brian Burnham, in my opinion, is probably the best receiver in the Canadian football league. The guy's glue. If you throw it within his fingertips, it's, it's a reception. Oh, and he's made catches the last few years that you you sit down and you're just like, how the hell did he catch that? Uh, but another target that I'm really liking right now, and even goes back to week one with uh, Nathan Rourke behind center, is Lucky Whitehead. And, and what Whitehead brings to the team was something that I was excited about when they signed him is his absolute blazing speed. Because he if he gets a couple yards ahead of you, you're done. He's going to be able to create separation and get to the ball that is potentially overthrown or thrown ahead for him to run in onto. And he flies. So I think having those types of offensive weapons is what really helped the lions on Thursday night. Also what I really liked in that game. And I think this, it's a perfect way to keep him, ready to go they had chris rainey in the offense at running back running plays even a couple passes went out his way because if you can keep him flying then he's going to be ready to go and make a lot of good punt and kickoff returns throughout the game i don't know that he can be in there as an every down kind of player he's getting a little bit a little bit older but i think that keeps him fresh and it's going to keep him going and i really liked them bringing him in uh at running back, I know they had Butler in, who is a rookie, as uh, Shaq Cooper's out right now. So they're, they're they're making it work, but I just think all around the offense was a lot better than it was in Week One, and it, you know it was a little bit closer game than it should have been because again, I'm going to get into this afterwards with what you know when we talk about what I've liked about the team so far and what I haven't. Our, our kicking game is not the greatest right now. It's left some points on the field. Uh, the big plus that I think for this game and even going back to the last game was the defense really did a good job in, in stopping Boley by Mitchell. And the defense to me was a very, a very bright spot. They've given up very few points in the last six quarters and I think that uh, if they can continue, that defense is going to help. And even in low-scoring games, the defense is making stops. That's a positive. So that's that's what I liked out of that game so far. From my perspective, the game was won and lost by the difference in the receivers between the Calgary Stampeders and the British Columbia Lions. 
And I'm not just talking about straight up balls caught and, you know, targets and receptions and yards and touchdowns. To me, one of the big differences in the game was the BC Lions receivers ability to block and their ability to block on a lot of the underneath throws. And the Lions have always done this. A lot of short screen passes underneath throws to their speedy playmakers that turned into 15, 20 yard games. There was a handful of them. And the BC Lions receivers did an outstanding job uh, blocking the underneath game and allowing Michael Riley to move the ball at will down the field. I don't know how many times I saw underneath passes turn into 10, 12, 15, 20 yard gains all night long. Another major difference was the, the receivers for the Lions made the difficult catches and I'm looking at Brian Burnham caught a ridiculous 65 yard bomb down the field. They made the ridiculously tough catches where the Calgary Stampeders receivers didn't. Bull Levi Mitchell in that game threw up a lot of 50, 50 balls. And unfortunately it was about 2080 as to who caught those balls and they weren't the team in red and white. It wasn't the Stampeders. Bo Levi Mitchell ended up throwing four interceptions, a career high. He's never thrown four interceptions in a game. Our receivers dropped balls. Our receivers took offside penalties when we were driving the ball. Our receivers and our quarterback for the Calgary Stampeders, Bo Levi Mitchell, Kamar Jordan, Josh Huff, Markeith Ambles, Hergie Mayala, they're not on the same page. And I don't know if it's Bo Levi Mitchell playing poorly or the receivers playing poorly or a combination of both. If they don't get on the same page, the season's over very quickly here in Calgary. And this is not something we're accustomed to. We're accustomed to ruling the West division. But if our receivers can't pick up the quality of their play, we're done. It's as simple as that. I got to give our the Calgary Stampeders defense a little bit of credit. I know they gave up about 450 yards offense to, to Michael Riley and the Lions. They only gave up 15 points. They, they got the turnovers when they needed them. And they needed them because our offense was doing the same thing and was turning the ball over left, right, and center as well. So the defense, the old saying, they bent but didn't break. That is so true, only giving up 15 points. I was at the game in the stands, and we kept saying this game should be 21-point differential. The, the stats didn't back up the scoreboard, and I couldn't believe the Calgary Stampeders actually had a Hail Mary at the end of the game to win the game. The fact that they, the BC Lions, and I'm going to take a bit of a pot shot at them, they, let, they do what bad football clubs do, and they let a bad football club hang around. They really, really did. They're, they're lucky it didn't end up biting them in the butt at the end of the game. The Stampeders in the fourth quarter turned over the ball on the BC Lions 20. And then they also threw a Hail Mary at the end. We had two opportunities to win that game in the fourth quarter, and the BC Lions let a bad football club hang around that game. So, Yeah, the that part there, and that's where, you know, when you got your kicker going two for four and leaving points on the board because he didn't well, get – missed a 20-yarder. 22 and then well both even the 36 one to put the game pretty much out of control before those hail mary attempts and such like the game you're right like the game should have been over earlier but i think what came down to and i'm not this isn't to take away from the calgary defense but it also 
goes hand in hand with, I think the Lions not having the confidence to put Yamasaki out there to kick a field goal on third down because he's four for eight and has left so many points on the, on the field. And he's not even getting the single point for a miss. He hasn't hit. He, he missed a extra point kick in the last in week one that would have made it a three point game rather than a four point game. I, I, so yeah, not to take away anything really from the Calgary Stampeders defense, but I think they were helped in a lack of confidence in our kicker and going, having to go for that third and two instead of a 35 yard field goal, which should almost be an automatic in the CFL. I think you're hundred percent right. We saw it twice in that game. We saw it, I believe it was in the second quarter or the third quarter, the BC lions were on the Calgary Stampeders roughly 25, third and two, and went for it, which in the CFL is unheard of. That is automatic three points, kick the field goal, move on. In the stands, we were questioning the decision by the BC Lions to go for it on third and two, going, what are they doing? And we saw it again with a minute left in the game when it was third and seven, and the BC Lions were on the 35, up six. They might have even been closer. And instead of kicking the field goal, they chose to essentially run the ball and turn it over on downs. They made the conscious effort that they felt more comfortable turning the ball over on downs than attempting a 35 yard field goal that for those listeners out there in the Canadian football league, a a field goal can be returned for a touchdown the other way. And it actually happens quite regularly. They felt more comfortable that they could stop the Calgary Stampeders from a Hail Mary attempt than potentially their kicker missing that field goal and us returning it to the house, which is, in my opinion, is absolutely unheard of that you would be unwilling to try a roughly 35 yard field goal because you're afraid he's going to miss and you're going to lose the game on a uh, field goal return touchdown. Well, that 22 yarder he missed early in the game wasn't even like he booted the ball through the end zone and got the single point for it. It was almost a line drive 22 yarder that was easily brought back out. You know, late in the game, Lions had a chance to make it a nine point lead and pretty much put it out of reach. And he kicked it, missed. I As soon as he kicked it, I knew it was wide. And I, I don't, I honestly don't know what your returner was thinking because he brought the ball out to the one (laughs) got hammered at the one and it was it was almost where he got hit he was barely out it could have been a safety and made it much more difficult you would have had to score the touchdown plus a two-point conversion just to tie the game so i don't know what he was thinking on that one give up the single man he was deep that was a very questionable questionable call i will say despite it being a low scoring game, 15-9, it was the closest game of the weekend. And the big thing too is all teams are struggling in the red zone. It seems like a lot of teams are having a lot of trouble. The Edmonton Elks on Saturday has struggled in the red zone. There's a lot of struggle right now. And I'm going to say, go back to, you brought up Boldy by Mitchell and the say struggles he had in that game with four interceptions I have not seen in the CFL especially in Calgary a fan base turn so quickly 
on someone who has been so consistent and so good over this pretty much career because of what's happened here. The, yes, the team is 0-2. It's unheard of for the Stampeders. But, I mean, I, I, I'm going to ask you, but I'm like, my thought on this is, is this Bo Levi Mitchell declining or is this short camp, no preseason, and new guys in the fold? I'm going to put it more on the latter, but I'm going to preface that with there's always been this sentiment in Calgary, even with Bo Levi Mitchell being the winningest quarterback in CFL history in terms of winning percentage. There's always been this perception that Bo Levi Mitchell is the beneficiary of playing on good teams. And he's always had good receivers. And there's always been this mentality that Bo Levi Mitchell isn't as good as his stats have said. I don't subscribe to that mentality. I honestly believe Bo Levi Mitchell, when on the top of his game, is the best quarterback in the Canadian Football League. Uh, Michael Riley's right up there. Andrew Harris, or not Andrew, uh, Trevor Harris is sometimes up there. He's really hit and miss. But when all is said and done, I believe Bo Levi Mitchell is probably the best quarterback in the Canadian Football League. I might be in the minority, though, in that viewpoint. He's always been viewed here as the beneficiary of playing on really good teams. So to, to answer your question, I don't think this is a decline of Bo Levi Mitchell. I think the quality of the receivers around him isn't as high as it has been. And we don't have the Eric Rogers who would go up and win every 50-50 ball. We don't have Reggie Bagleton now with the Green Bay Packers to go up and win every 50-50 ball. A big part of Bo Levi Mitchell's uh, repertoire is throwing it to where it's a 50-50 ball, but his receivers making the plays. And I said it earlier, the receivers right now aren't making those plays. So one of two things has to happen. Either Bo Levi Mitchell needs to adjust or the receivers need to step up. I don't know which one it is yet, but if they're incapable of winning 50-50 throws, like Brian Burnham of the BC Lions wins every 50-50 ball, if they can't do that, then there's going to be a major problem and these struggles might continue. So as a Calgary Stampeders fan, it's very disappointing for me to see everybody, you know, jump off the Bo Levi Mitchell wagon and throw him under the bus left, right, and center. Look, this guy is one of the best in the league. He's won us two Grey Cups, probably should have won us more Grey Cups, which probably have four or five under his, his uh, reign. But what would you rather? Would you rather go back to not having a quarterback, playing the backup who's never played? Like, let's, let's give this some time to play out here, people. Bo Levi Mitchell is still one of the best in the league, so cut him some slack. And like you mentioned, no training camp. They hadn't played in a year and a half. Every team is rusty. I've been to two games live. And trust me, the teams are rusty when it comes to scoring points and finishing with touchdowns. I've only seen, I'm going to say, three, four touchdowns in two full games that I've watched. So this is, isn't unique. Am I concerned? Absolutely. As a Calgary Stampeders fan, I'm very concerned about what I'm seeing on the field. But am I ready to throw in the towel? Absolutely not. I think when you got four last games, and, and, and maybe, this, maybe this is it. Maybe because it's a shortened season and every game then becomes – amplified yeah far more important than it would have been last you know regular season uh because the majority of your games are going to be played against western divisions or if you're in the east 
Eastern Division rivals because you're not going to get a lot of that travel. You're not going to get in 14 games. You're going to play the West teams twice. You're going to play two of the East teams twice and two once. So really it comes down to every game. Like, you know, the the Stamps are 0-2, but they're 0-1 against Western Division teams. The Lions are 1-1, and they they've they've played two Western division teams so far. Those are huge games. That's where like we're going into what I'm kind of not liking about the season so far is our kicking cost us week one. And for as bad, as bad as the first half was, because it was ugly. Like Saskatchewan should have rolled through 64 to 12 in that game but they didn't the lions defense stepped up in the and probably some complacency from the riders as well but the defense stepped up the offense made plays in the second half and those missed field goals and extra points was five points left off the board the lions lost by four it it, they have to they have to get that kicking game under control. And I think it's going to be difficult because with the new rules, you have to have two global players. Now our punter and our kicker field goal kicker are both our global players. So now do you have to cut someone who doesn't deserve to be cut to bring in a global player at a different position to bring in a, an American or Canadian kicker? It's going to become difficult because right now we've talked about it. They, the lines do not have confidence in their field goal kicking. Well, I'm going to give my summary of the Calgary Stampeders season so far year to date. And I'm going to be brutally honest in it. This is not Calgary Stampeder football that I've been watching. This is clearly the youngest team in the CFL making mistakes left, right, and center. Very uncharacteristic. You've got the leaders of the Calgary Stampeders, uh, Jameer Thurman on local radio, came on and said, we are not playing Calgary Stampeders football and this is unacceptable. One of the trademarks of what I mean by Calgary Stampeders football, you don't make mistakes. You don't turn the ball over. You don't take ridiculous penalties at bad times. You put the nail in the coffin when you have a chance to win the game. You find a way to win a game that you should maybe lose. We have seen all of these things not work for the Calgary Stampeders so far. In week one against the Toronto Argonauts, we let a team waltz into our stadium and beat us that really shouldn't have beat us. They did not outplay us, but we didn't do the Calgary Stampeder thing and win a game in the fourth quarter. Instead, we lost a game in the fourth quarter. We had a bad fumble by Kadeem Carey late in the game in the fourth quarter. We were up, I believe, six at the time, seven at the time, had a fumble late in the game. They on our own 30 game game over they win we had a chance to get up by two scores late in that game against the toronto argonauts and as we're driving the ball kadeem carey then takes a ridiculous unnecessary roughness penalty or unsportsmanlike conduct penalty takes points off the boards that would we would have been up 11 at the end of that drive had that penalty not been taken and probably won the game so we can we completely through the game in the fourth quarter of the Toronto Argonauts against the BC lions turnovers. We had 
five turnovers, four interceptions and a turnover on down. One of the turnovers on down was at the BC Lions 16 yard line where we turned a second in inches. And in the CFL, that's a guarantee. We turned second in inches into a turnover on downs. We had an interception in the end zone. We had two offside or an offside penalty and an illegal procedure penalty on drives where we were inside the BC Lions 20 that we then had to settle for field goals. We took sacks when we were in BC Lions territory driving the ball that took us out of field goal range. These are all things that are not Calgary Stampeder football. Am I seeing the fact that the Calgary Stampeders are just a bad team? I hope not, but if they can't figure out how to play Calgary Stampeder football, then they're a bad team. It's as clear as day. I mean, I, I'm going to say this first off. I am beyond happy that the CFL is back, and I've spent the last two weeks watching as much of it as I can uh, without you know completely annoying the wife. But I watched some of that Toronto game this weekend, and, and the thought that went through my head was, this is the team that beat Calgary? I mean, I, I watched it, and I was like, I still didn't understand. I watched the Toronto-Calgary game, and I watched – I did for as much as the Toronto Argonauts brought in, they still struggle. McLeod Bethel-Thompson is not a starting quarterback, and they actually only started to get some momentum when they brought Arbuckle in in week two. So – the question I got, if the, if the stamps go 0-3, does John Huffnagel pull the trigger on a massive move to shake the team up? I don't know that he pulls the trigger on a massive move, and it's very possible the Calgary Stampeders could be 0-4. We have the Montreal Alouettes and Winnipeg Blue Bombers as our next two games. I don't think he blows it up by any means, but – could I see John Huffnagel go out and look for receiver support? Absolutely. This team is not afraid to bring in players mid-season and, and kind of, let's say, mold them into Calgary Stampeders. I very much could see this team going out and either acquiring or finding receiver help because it is clear that that is the biggest downfall on this team right now. Uh, so, so with that, so with that, I think there – it may have been harder to do that with the exception of what's happening today, August 15th is that it's looking like double vaccinated players as yes. Dave Naylor from TSN reporting are going to get a little more freedoms when it comes to being able to go out and do things, spend time with other players and their families, go to restaurants. They're going to have the, the ability to do a little bit more. And some of these guys like Brendan Labatt in Saskatchewan, who semi-retired for the season or opted out for the season because he didn't want to go through all that being double vaccinated. He didn't want to lose that time with his family. How many of these guys are going to get quickly brought back into the fold by some of these teams? Because there's a lot of players. A lot of players took that step back. Now, before we move on to our Toronto Blue Jays talk, Ken, I want to just get your thoughts from around the league. There's a few major surprises in the league. And I think you can look at the bottom of the divisions in both sides. And you can see the Edmonton Elks, the Calgary Stampeders, and the Hamilton Tiger Cats 
all sporting 0 and 2 records. To me, that is shocking in and of itself that I actually predicted all three of those teams to be near the top of their divisions. Yeah, uh, probably I mean, it could be a tie, but the biggest shocker for me Hamilton. is the ha- Hamilton. Ti- yeah, Hamilton Tiger Cats. The fact that you've got Jeremiah Mazzoli as their starter. They Again, he was out in week two for Dane Evans to come in. So teams are struggling. And this is kind of where I'm shocked. But I'm also going to hold back on the these teams are, this is what they are until we start getting some actual game time. Yeah. Like this, essentially the CFL only has a two week preseason. And right now we we just, exactly. We just went through the first two weeks of the season. I'm hoping because a competitive CFL league is what everyone wants to see. Um, Most games, they can be high scoring, but they're close. And right. You look at week one for BC and Saskatchewan, how that one played out. I bet you a lot of people turned it off late second quarter thinking this is over people like myself who I, I refuse to turn it off got to see a very close game in the end with a little bit of excitement finally Edmonton Calgary probably if you want to go a west and an east division shock Calgary is right there with Hamilton yeah uh, Edmonton a little bit I mean I know there's That's supposed some... to be a potent offense and they can't they haven't scored a touchdown no, and Trevor Harris, you know, has looked he, – he's been a good quarterback, but he hasn't looked good so far this year. And there's been a lot of chatter on Twitter from <laughs> some people. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say they. Well, yeah, Derek Dennis, uh, as to what Trevor Harris brings to, to the team. So – and he, he is a great cup winning quarterback, but as it was pointed out, he was holding a clipboard at the time. So he was, he was, (laughs) he could be a two time gray cup champ, but I mean, I don't know. Don't go ahead. Sorry. I was say Edmonton. I'm not as surprised. Um, but yeah, it's just the, the fact that the, the, there's a lot of teams that are Owen two. There's a few that, um, shouldn't be. And there's a few teams that are one and one that, I mean, really the lions, in my opinion, I may be slightly biased. I am wearing a very bright orange shirt today. Um, should be 2-0. and oh. But poor play from a certain position, looking at you, Sam Asaki, has got them at 1-1. One and, one. and See, I look at the lines, and I think they could very easily be 0-2 oh right now. But, and, but that's, and that's how it goes. But they've done, and like, they did enough in week two to win that game. I thought they were the better team. And in, yep, week, they one, in week one, it just... That start, you couldn't have had a worse first half of football. And, I mean, it was still when, when Michael Riley came in at halftime in week one, it was still ugly because he was his arm was not ready to go. But they did what they had to do for that third quarter he was in. And when Nathan Rourke came back in the fourth, they did what they had to do to get back in the game. The field goal kicking cost them that victory. So... They could be two and zero. They're one and one. I don't know how Toronto is one and one, in all honesty. But Winnipeg, I do, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm going to go to the other end of the standings, and I'm going to go with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. These guys are real. They they were oh, Grey yeah. Cup defending Grey Cup champions. They're two and zero. They beat uh, who? They beat Hamilton and Saskatchewan. 
No, sir. No, oh, no they, uh, they just beat Toronto. Uh, Hamilton or Toronto. Sorry. Hamilton. Uh, geez, Winnipeg looks like the real deal beating two pretty good teams. I'm very interested to see what happens when Hamilton plays Saskatchewan or not Hamilton. Sorry. Uh, Winnipeg plays Saskatchewan at some point. Uh, Saskatchewan I'll, give, I'll at, give it to you. Uh, Hamilton has been the toast of the league for a little while. So I, yeah. I understand why, where the confusion's coming in. Yeah. Sorry. Saskatchewan are, are 2-0. I'm going to give them some props. I think they deserve to be 2-0 as well. I don't think they're as good as Winnipeg. I'm very interested to see that. Montreal looked absolutely dominating in their first game. They looked really good. So to me right now, there's three really good teams in this league and the rest are mediocre. And we'll see how the rest of the, the season plays out. But I think it's going to be pretty tough to Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, and Montreal look like the Grey Cup contenders right now, and we'll see how that finishes up. Vernon, just to finish this one off, bring up Montreal. Vernon Adams Jr. was very did, did something very cool to get ready for this season and get that chemistry with his receivers. He paid for them all to come out to Washington State and train with him before camp. When everything was starting to get okay, we're going to be coming back. He brought them out. He paid for them to come out and had some training, ran some drills with them. He was looking to be ready for week one. And right now, after a 30 to 13 victory over the Elks, they look very ready. They look very ready. Well, we'd love to hear from you, CFL fans. What are your take on the Calgary Stampeders, the BC Lions? Are we off base on saying that Winnipeg's the best team in the league? Are we off base in saying Hamilton's the biggest disappointment? We'd love to hear from you guys. I'm at the BleacherCon1 and Ken is at the BleacherCon2 on Twitter. So moving on, Ken, about a week ago, we were marveling in the run that the Blue Jays, the Toronto Blue Jays, gushing at the run that the Toronto Blue Jays have been on. And while we recorded last week's episode, they actually erased a 7-2 deficit to the Boston Red Sox to win that game 9-8, take three of four, get to within two and a half games of the wild card, within two and a half games of Boston. Since then... The Toronto Blue Jays have gone to Anaheim and split a four-game set, okay, and have subsequently gone to Seattle, which is normally a home series for the Toronto Blue Jays, and so far are 0-2. So, unfortunately, they've gone out west and have gone 2-4 and since the big series victory against the Boston Red Sox, which they had essentially won 13 or 15 games anyways, Ken, did we see peak Toronto Blue Jays or do you think they can still get back in this? I, I am on the belief that they can turn it around. They made the right moves at the deadline. They are still eight games over 500. The problem is the Yankees are 12 games over 500 and two games ahead of them. The Yankees in the last 10 are seven and three. The Jays are five and five. The Red Sox are doing everything they can to let both of these teams stay in it by going four and six in their last 10. And the Rays are just giving everyone the middle finger and playing seven and three over the last 10. But even after Boston's slide, they've gone on, I think, and won three or three or four games in a row, including a couple of absolute blowouts, 28 over one over Tampa Bay, yeah. second blowout against Baltimore. Well, granted, it is Baltimore, so I should hope they win. It should those that should be gimme. But the, the Red Sox have kind of distanced themselves from the Blue Jays again after letting them creep in. 
Yeah, the the Red Sox four and six record is partially that four game winning streak because they were on a a very bad ten game uh, spell when they played the Blue Jays. It, it I want to say that they can remain in it, but it's gonna be very difficult. The the teams they are chasing are winning. To, I mean, the Rays are going to win the division, so let's just take them out of the equation. The, the Red Sox and Yankees are division rivals. So when you play them, you got to beat them. When you don't play them, you got to hope they lose or you do your job and beat the teams that you're playing, which right now are also two teams in the hunt for wildcard positions and such as well. So these are big, big games. Every game, every series they play is vital to the standings, whether it's division or wildcard. Um yeah, they, they got some work to do. It should still be a great, exciting season, regardless of where they finish in or out of the playoffs. Realistically, I think it's going to be very difficult for them to make the playoffs. I, I have to agree with you on that. It, it's disappointing coming into this, this series against Seattle. The Mariners were two games back. You had a chance to essentially put Seattle away not have to worry about them for the rest of the season. And you're now tied with them, I believe. You've lost the first two games. You let them right back in. You let them back in because you split two of four games against essentially a last place ball club in the LA Angels of Anaheim. You, you, you had a chance on this road trip through Anaheim, Seattle, and Washington to really make up games and now you have to win the last three games just to guarantee you don't have a losing road trip. That's, that's disappointing coming off that series, that huge series against the Red Sox and that run. After that, you've got the Tigers. You have to win two of three at least in that series. And then you got a real tough one, a four-game set against the Chicago White Sox. If you can find a way to get through these next two weeks, still in the hunt, maybe pick up a game or two, I'm – I'm going to be a little more optimistic. I'm really, really worried about that four game set against the Chicago White Sox coming up. Chicago's a great team because after that, you've then got the Tigers and the Orioles again. So there you've got some wins there. And then the season is going to be determined in the first two weeks of September. You play Oakland and New York straight back to back seven straight games. If you can somehow find a way to win six of those seven games, you very well could be in a wild card position. If you find a way to sweep the Oakland Athletics, you very well could be in a wild card position. That is where the season is going to be determined to me. You've got seven games in a row in early September coming up against the A's and the Yankees. Prove it. Time to put up or shut up. That is the season right there. And then unfortunately, in the weeks after, you've got six games against the Tampa Bay Rays, which we know that the Toronto Blue Jays struggle against. So thank God there's some games with the Orioles and Twins spattered in there to, to, to level it off. But those six games against the Rays and those seven games against the Yankees and, or and uh, A's, that is the Toronto Blue Jays season. That is – we'll see where this team is after those games. Yeah. That, here's the thing that I find interesting. The Jays have the offense to do it in the American league. There is only two teams ahead of them 
with a better run differential. Houston at plus 167, the White Sox at plus 128, then the Jays sit third with plus 122. The Yankees are only plus 17, Red Sox plus 55, Oakland plus 85. The Jays have the offense to do it. But when you lose a game to the Seattle Mariners, who you are now tied with in the wild card race on a ninth, bottom of the ninth inning, bases loaded, walk. You walk in the winning run. You cannot, that like that is just, you can't do that. You have to get that entire thing out of your game. And if the Jays want to win and get back in this, they have to be better than a game over 500 on the road. They're 31 and 30. I'm going to, I'm going to take off on that point here. And sorry if I did cut you off. After the series against the Anaheim Angels, Charlie Montoyo came out and said 500 on the road is good enough. He goes, we went two and two in that series. Playing 500 ball on the road is good enough. I'm going to cut you right off. I'm going to take it back to our other segment in our show. Are you kidding me? Winning two of two or winning two of four games against a last place ball club on the road in the middle of a playoff race is not good enough, Charlie Montoyo. You need to win those games. You had to win three of four. You have to make up ground when you're playing bad teams. And for you to go out and excuse your ball club for playing two very mediocre, uninspired ball games in that series and say, it's okay, 500 on the road is good enough. Okay, well, you're now two and four on this road trip. That is two games under 500. That is not good enough. Stop giving this team a pass and always playing the Mr. Positivity card. Sometimes you have to call a spade a spade and say, my team lacked the desperation and desire they required in a road game to be in a playoff hunt. And those games are what are going to cost them a playoff spot this season. I was so disappointed when I heard Montoyo say a two and two road trip playing 500 is good enough. No, it's not. The only team that can get away with saying that is the Chicago White Sox because the central is not a good division. So on the road, the White Sox can be 29 and 28, but at home, they're 18 games above 500. They're 39 and 21. The Houston Astros, who may some call the Trastros, are 10 games over 500 on the road. Tampa Bay is 12 games over 500 on the road. Those teams at home, Tampa, 35 and 22. Houston, 37, 23. Chicago, 39 to 21. They win at home and they win on the road. That's why they're in first place. The White Sox have the advantage of playing Detroit, Cleveland, Minnesota, and Kansas City, who are all sub-500 500 teams. So, yeah, they get a little bit of a leeway in that, but that's the only team that can say it. But they're also in first, so they can say it. They're not in the hunt for a playoff race. Um we, we kind of talked about the, the Jays are in Seattle this week and due to the pandemic, it's probably the first series in Seattle in a very long time. That's actually a Mariners home game where the Mariners jerseys and cheers outnumber greatly the Blue Jays fans because, well, 
you don't can't really you can go through the border, but you really don't want to be quarantining for two weeks going through afterwards. So one big thing that's going to come out of this and uh, George Springer looks to have gotten injured on uh, Saturday night. He's been on fire. What, what is uh, this going to do for them? To put it mildly. Yeah. Well, what's this going to do for the Jays, Trevor? That is a potential huge loss. And especially because I, I was just going to make this point on top of it. Vladimir Duro Jr. has really cooled off and is a 162 game season starting to catch up with him. Is it starting to catch up with Bo Bichette? These guys have never played full seasons before in major league baseball. And that's another point of concern for me is are some of the blue Jays young guns going to run out of steam before the end of the season? I think the answer to that is yes. So George Springer getting hurt and I pray to God, it's not serious. George Springer getting hurt is even bigger because of those reasons, because I do believe Bichette and Guerrero Jr. are tired. They aren't as productive. Their numbers aren't as good as they were even 30 games ago. And I think that's going to be a real, real issue for this team moving forward for the next few weeks is can they stay energized enough? Can they also continue to get the starting pitching that they've been getting for the most part outside though? And I, this is kind of shocking for me to say this outside of Hunjin Ryu, who actually hasn't been himself recently. I think we've gone three J starts in a row that he started that they've lost and even what's even more disappointing is last night, there was a stretch where he retired, I'm going to say 12, 13, 14 in a row, and they still lost that game. That That's very concerning for me that even on a night when he did pitch fairly well for good portions, they lost that game. Can Ross Stripling hold it together and, and give you quality starts? Can Steven Matz keep, keep giving you quality starts? I'm I'm worried. I really am worried about this team especially when the bats have cooled off a little bit and they may not be able to outscore some of the, the other deficiencies. I do think they're good enough. Their run direct differential tells me they're good enough, but are, are they going to run out of steam down the stretch? I'm really, really worried they are. Well, you, you talk about Vladdy Jr. and Bo needing some rest. Well, who's going to give it to them? Who's going to honestly give them enough of a break to be able to go and take a day off, right? Uh, Guerrero's only missed one game this season, which for him is quite unheard of. He had been getting regular rest his other seasons. Yeah, and that's the thing is like he's not playing badly. He's just not lighting the world on fire like he was. Now, could that also be – because that was all playing in Dunedin and Buffalo and on the road – could it be that now they're at home in Toronto, they're trying to do too much? That's very possible. Right? Everybody expects Vladdy, that NLM, or it's not NL, AL MVP caliber play that he was putting up to continue. He's still a young kid, but like, let's look at it. At first base, their backup really is on the depth chart is Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Who's going to take over for him in the outfield then? Uh, Kevin Biggio on the injured list for 10 day. And honestly, his play okay hasn't really, that. yeah, his play hasn't put him in the lineup. Kevin Biggio is also listed as a backup for second and third, because they just can't find a home for this guy. Um, Bravek Valera is back up to second, third, as is Santiago Espanol. 
there is no legitimate guy that can come in and spell Vladdy off for two, three days, let him DH, let him catch his breath a little bit. It's, it's up to Vladdy. Again, Rowdy Telez was not doing anything of significance with the Jays. He's lighting the world on fire with the Brewers. Good for him. But Damn you, Vladdy, do- yeah. <laughs> Vladdy doesn't have – yeah, it's almost like an Adam Lind situation, which I won't say on air. Um, I, I had a phrase for Adam Lind. wasn't too uh, clean. Um, yeah, like he, they don't have a legitimate backup to spell him off to give him that time. So that's an area I think they need to work on as well to help Laddie out, not go through these spells of getting tired and worn out. Well, and especially if Springer's out of the lineup for any amount of time, they can't afford to give another day off because Guriel Jr. would have been, you know, giving him first base coverage. But then all of a sudden, if they're down two outfielders, we, we have a four outfielder system with Teoscar Hernandez, uh, Springer, Gritchuk, and Guriel Jr., one of those guys is out of the lineup. Well, then you can't move Guriel to first base to cover off. So that, forget, that's another major issue. Don't forget Corey Dickerson. Yeah, Corey Dickerson. I, I, yeah, I kind of temporarily forgot about him. I guess he can spell off there. So, but yeah. no, I'm. It's going to be a, an exciting end of the season as a Blue, Toronto Blue Jays fan. It's very exciting just to be in the race because there's been a lot of seasons where we haven't. And just being close is kind of got my baseball juices really flowing, which is why some of these losses are really, really pissing me off. You can't take two or four from the Angels. You have to have won three or four and gained ground, not lost ground. Yeah, it, uh, they've played really well to get everyone kind of jacked up and excited. And when you see those winnable games become losses, it it hurts uh, a little more time to go on a run. Absolutely. Well, Blue Jays nation, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter. Are they a playoff team or not? Reach out. Let us know. I'm at the bleacher con one. Ken is at the bleacher con two. All right. Well, that's our show for this week. Again, we are really excited to be back with unhinged radio uh, powered by belly up sports. Make sure to tune in. Our shows will be live for the first time every Monday, noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, unhingedsn.airtime.pro. And you can find all of our past episodes, if you are new to the Bleacher Connection, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker. You can pretty much find us wherever you find your podcasts. Check out our shows. we got some great interviews from CFL uh, players, coaches, and media, as well as others. Glad to be back. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, everyone.